Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio on this World Communion Sunday. World Communion Sunday is a special Sunday in this sense. Every Sunday that we celebrate communion together is a special event, as is every Sunday that we come together to declare the Lord's death and resurrection and His glory. But today we especially remember that we are joined together not only with other brothers and sisters of Christ within this room, but we are gathered together around the Lord's table all over the world with the entire church, with the body of Christ in every country speaking different languages and remembering the good news of Jesus Christ. It's, a, it's really a day that we set aside to remember that we are part of something very, very big and something very beautiful. You know, that really did... Uh, come to mean a lot to me. I really felt the weight of that a few weeks ago when I was in San Diego for a board meeting of an international mission organization, an old, uh, an old Presbyterian mission agency called the Outreach Foundation. I've been on the board of this organization for several years, and it was a great weekend, a great, or a great series of days of meetings. Uh, we talked about opportunities to serve and to, to do outreach and things like that. But, but sadly, whenever you get a group of, of church leaders together, particularly it seems American church le leaders, at some point, even if you're talking about exciting things happening around the world, at some point people begin to reflect and they begin to become a little melancholy and the discussion turned as it always seems to do to the plight of the American church and the larger problem of the church in the West, which is that, oh, our churches, there's just no young people in our churches, or that no one is coming to our services, or they're, you know, we're closing more churches than we're opening, or that none of the churches have any money anymore. And I'm kind of sitting over here on the corner thinking, I'm not going to say anything <laughs> because, because we've got a lot of young people coming right now. And we also have, I, I mean, I'm glad to say we've got a lot of money coming in. Thank you for your generous, generosity. The Lord is blessing us. But not only that, we're actively involved in a church planting movement where we are actively involved right now with at least eight new church plants from our congregation. And we have lots of people coming and, and we're still reaching people all over the world through our online services and things like that. And so it was, it was hard for me to kind of get into the, to any discussion about the, the woe is me demise of the Western church. And as a matter of fact, one of our mission, our international mission partners, one of our international mission partners stood up and he said, said, please brothers and sisters, hear me say that we are in the international church. We are, we are all so sad for what's going on in the United States. And we are praying for the church in the West. But listen to what the Lord is doing in the church in Iran. And he went on to tell us that the church in Iran is the fastest growing Christian movement in the world, even though it is under fierce persecution. And he told us about both the licensed and the unlicensed church in China and how thousands upon thousands of people are coming to Christ even in that place. And he talked about how the church is expanding in Central Asia to, to groups of people that have never heard the gospel before. And this, this dear friend from another country said, brothers and sisters, the church is getting bigger. And I thought, oh, that is something we need, that the church is getting bigger. And, and I thought about that. I thought, you know, we are so focused, I think so often, on the idea that we need 
to make the church bigger, that we need this church to be bigger, that we forget the importance of recognizing the bigger church. And we, we want a bigger church, but we can't forget the bigger church, especially when we get discouraged, especially when we begin to think that, that on, the church in the West is the center of Christendom anymore or anything like that. We need to remember that God is doing incredible things all over the world. I came away from that meeting with a feeling that we need the bigger church and we need a bigger view. We need a bigger perspective. We need a bigger understanding of, of what God is doing with the church in the world because the Lord is not losing. He is winning all over the world. And Worldwide Communion Sunday reminds us that God's church is bigger than what we do here. As awesome as what God is doing through this church, it is bigger than what we do here. And it is bigger than what we see in this country or just in Europe or someplace like that. It is bigger than we can even imagine. As a matter of fact, Revelation 7, 9 through 10 says this, after I looked and behold, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to the Lord our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is God's worldwide kingdom vision and it is bigger than just us. At the beginning of the church, the apostle Paul wanted to remind the Christians, the first Christians, that the Lord's view of the church, his vision for his people, goes way beyond anything that we can imagine. And Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 19 through 27. If you'll turn to your pew Bible or turn to your bulletin and read along as I read aloud. The apostle Paul writes this. He says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, uh, excuse me, uh, to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of of your precious Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen.
As we have said many times before, 1 Corinthians was a letter written to new Christians who were still trying to figure out what it means to be a Christian, what it meant to believe and to be and live as a follower of Christ in a non-Christian world. In the passage that we've read today, Paul begins to turn the camera, though, from our personal behavior and survival in this pagan non-Christian world to our opportunity and our mission. He takes a moment to focus our attention on the reason that he is in Corinth in the first place. Now, even though Paul doesn't make here a formal mission statement, he does put his cards on the table. He says, here's what I'm going to do, here's what I'm doing, and here's what, why I am here. First of all, here's what I'm doing. I've made myself a servant to all. I've become all things to all people, and I do it all. And here is why I am here. Here's why I'm doing what I do. That I might win more of them. That by all means, I might save some for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. In other words, Paul is saying, I'm here to serve these people. I'm here to win these people. I'm here to save these people. I am here to live together in gospel community with these people. Paul did not come to Corinth just to teach the Corinthian Christians how to survive in a hostile, non-Christian environment. He came to teach them how to serve all types of people, how to win more people, how to save them and share together in the life and blessings of Jesus Christ. He's saying, I didn't come to Corinth just so that we could gather in a holy huddle, cowering from the world. I came so that we could set more people free from sin and fear, so that more people would be saved from that which enslaves them, from the propaganda and the lives that pollute them and the, the darkness and the loneliness that terrifies them. I want them to have the same faith, hope, and love that we have. And I want them to know that there is a real God who loves them and, and who can make a difference in their lives now and forever. And I want to find more and more of the father's lost children and take them off the streets and bring them to dwell in the father's house in his peace and love. That's Paul's mission. And in giving us his understanding of his mission, Paul wants us to know our mission and what it's going to take. First of all, to fulfill God's mission for the church and to fulfill his vision for the church, it begins with freedom. Now there are two forms of freedom involved here. Freedom from and permission to. So by his death on the cross and resurrection, Jesus Christ has given us freedom from certain things. Freedom from our sin and from every fear and weakness that would undermine or hinder or prevent us from, pre from reaching the people that God wants us to reach. Let me give you an example. He has given us freedom from our fears of what others might think, because what does it matter what others think of us if God has sent us on this mission? He gives us freedom from the fear of our own safety, 
Because as he says in Hebrews, we've not only received a freedom from death itself, but from the fear of death and all the little deaths that pollute our lives. He's given us freedom from any prejudice that would taint my attitudes about others or keep me from reaching out to, quote unquote, those people or people who are not like us. And he has freed us from any presuppositions about what the Lord can or cannot do, about who, whom he can or cannot change, about whom he does or does not love. Jesus Christ has set us free from all of that. And if those are the things holding us back, then that's on us, not on him. And then, by his great commission, to go therefore to all nations, as Jesus commanded, he has given us permission to engage those people that at one time we thought were off limits. Whereas in the past, they were to stay clear of outsiders and sinners, we see Jesus and Paul and the early church going to the people that need him most. Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick do. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Paul points out that our job, that our mission has never been to condemn people, but to reach them and to teach them and to show them a more excellent way. Today's sinner, sinner may be tomorrow's saint. Today's loser could be tomorrow's victor. Today's addict could be tomorrow's apostle. And today's pagan could be tomorrow's prophet. But our mission is going to also require resourcefulness. To serve people, to win people, to save people from, for the sake of the gospel, for a bigger church, we have to remember to meet people where they are. Paul wrote this, To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law. To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. To reach the people that we have never reached, we are going to have to do things that we've never done. We're going to have to go to places that we have never been and we're going to have to learn things that we do not know. Hudson Taylor is considered to be one of the greatest missionaries and mission pioneers of the 19th century because he was the first missionary to gain any real traction in the interior of China. He succeeded where others had failed because of his zeal for the gospel and his sensitivity to Chinese culture. What do I mean by that? In his day, he was considered a radical because whenever possible... He adapted Chinese customs, tearing down cultural bears wherever, wherever he could. He adopted native clothing and dressed in the, in the style of a humble Chinese school teacher. He had his head shaved, leaving only a little hair in the back where he could grow a Chinese queue or a braid on the back of his head. Most importantly, instead of insisting that the Chinese learn English, Taylor learned Chinese and was able to preach 
the gospel in several dialects in the heart language of the people. While European diplomats and even other missionaries challenged him for for pandering, for going native, as they said, he reminded them that that's exactly what the God of the universe did when he took on flesh. He said, while we are not to seek to be peculiar for its own sake, we are not to hesitate to be so when duty to God renders it necessary or when the privilege of self-denial, I love that, the privilege of self-denial for the benefit of others calls for it. The privilege of self-denial for the benefit of others whenever it calls for it. Hudson Taylor met people in China and he met them where they were. If you want to connect people to Christ, then we have to be more adaptable and less critical. And that's important. Whether we're going around the world or to downtown San Antonio, whether we're going to a children's program in the Dominican Republic or to a high school here in town. We must show people respect by making an effort to learn as much about their culture as we can, learn to appreciate their culture and fit in with their culture as long as as the gospel and morality will allow. You know, I heard a great old Southern evangelist once say that you don't witness to somebody by burning his house down. Instead, you build your house next to him and then you invite him to move in. The people that we need to reach don't understand our language. And so we have to learn their language. We have to learn their lives, and we need to learn it with empathy. You know, have we bothered to learn the language of the people that we want to reach? I want you to consider this, uh, this for yourselves. Do you know the language of the young, of Gen Z, of millennials? Do you even know what those words mean? Can you read a teenage grandchild's or child's text and have any clue what it means? Go ahead, try, and learn that language. Have we learned the language of those who are on the edge, on the margins of our community, those who are struggling with all kinds of issues? Have you learned the language of people of other religious backgrounds or the expressions of the language of other ethnic groups or the language of the homeless and the immigrant? You know the language of the streets as well as the language of the suburbs. And you know the dialects of secular people who've had no exposure or no significant experience with the faith at all. You know, there's so much that we take for granted. You know, for that matter, have you learned the language of the weak, of the scared, of the addict, of the abused, those wounded by the church in the past, and those people who've been lied to or fed propaganda by the poets and pundits of our culture? Have we learned the language of the people that we are trying to reach. Winston Churchill once said that the British and the American people are really one people separated by a common language. What he meant by that was that we use the same words, but we use them differently and they mean different things. We say elevator, they say lift. We say trunk, they say boot. We say cookie, they say biscuit. We say soccer, they say football. You get what I'm saying? Same words, different 
meanings. But we do that in the church too. I was just, and this is not, Job, you did a great job with the announcements this morning, but I was, I was listening to our, our one announcement targeted to visitors this morning in which he said that if you would like to, if, this is, if you're a first time visitor, then we would like you to pick up a free gift in the narthex. Where is that? What's a narthex? Other people might call it a lobby, but we have a special church for it. And, and you can't just ask a human being, you have to ask a covenant partner. What is that? We have a tendency to speak our own language, don't we? And we see that many modern Americans are one people separated by a common language, especially believers and non-believers. One of the problems that many of us have is that we expect people who do not know Jesus to speak Christianese. They don't know the Word of God. They don't know the stories that we all take for granted. And they certainly don't have any idea of the relevance or the authority of Scripture. Why do we expect them to know that? And so we have to build bridges by learning the language of the lost. The language of the Jew, the language of the Greek, the language of the weak. We must learn to communicate, communicate the gospel in a way that they can understand. It doesn't mean that we accept everything that our culture says, but it does mean that we have to be resourceful in making the gospel clear. Finally, to serve people, to win people, to save people for the sake of the gospel, for a bigger church, we also need discipline. Look at the last few verses that we read today. Look how Paul talks about his mission. He says, I enslave myself. I have become, I am something new. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. To the weak, I became weak. Paul is saying, the Lord has made me into something new. And I am doing what I have to do and subjecting myself and humbling myself, doing the things that are hard, doing things that my old friends would never approve of or condone, and even that I don't like, all for the sake of reaching people. And Paul says, I'm not just, I'm not just doing this, I'm a slave to this. This is how serious he takes this how seriously he understands this mission to be. The idea of becoming a slave, we hear those words, we're not inspired by that at all. As a matter of fact, that's something that we sort of resist and reject. It's something we don't like to hear and we don't understand it, not as 21st century Americans. And so I love it that here, in talking about learning other people's languages, as if Paul turns from being speaking as a Jew to a Jew or a Greek to a Greek, he becomes an American speaking to Americans. And if you notice at the end of this passage, he switches his analogies. He stops talking about being a slave and he starts talking about something we do understand, the athlete. Look what he says here. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. To win the race in the field of athletics... He's saying, I had to become an athlete. I had to get off the spiritual couch. I had to hit the bricks and I had to become a racer. I had to compete on that track. The perspective of the athlete is this. 
I'm going to train as hard as it takes and work as hard as it takes to condition myself mentally and physically and spiritually to endure and overcome whatever challenges I face to win. The athlete is someone who has the dedication and the discipline and the volunteer will to do what it takes. I mean, think about what an athletic, what an Olympic athlete gives up. Think about your favorite college football players just yesterday, what they give up, what they take on to be in the position they're in. I mean, weights, laps, rounds in the ring. You know, the college athlete has given up late night parties for early mornings in the gym. She's given up the easy attitude of doing fine to press forward to the level of champion. They have traded ease and comfort for work and victory. But, Paul says, even though I'm going to work hard and even though I'm going to do whatever it takes to win, I am going to play by the rules. I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I'm not going to cheat or fall out of bounds or break the rules I'm not going to exchange the truth of God for a lie or just say what's easy because it's more acceptable to people. I'm not going to adapt the unchanging message of Christ by changing its truth and its content. I may need to find a new way to say it, but the unchanging truth of God cannot change and will not change. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to disgrace my team or dishonor my coach or sabotage our goals. There are limits. There are boundaries. We must speak the truth in love, but it is the truth that we must speak. And you know why that is? It's because we're not playing a game. It's because we're training for a rescue mission. The Lord of hosts loves people. He loves them where he finds them, but he also loves us too much to leave us there. And so we are training for a rescue mission. So how do we take what Paul has given us today and how do we communicate the love and truth of Jesus Christ to people who don't speak our language, to people who don't understand the lives that we live But we can try to answer those questions theologically or philosophically. We can try to answer them with sermons or treatises. But it really comes down to this. We show them. The most important step that we can take in helping people come to know Christ as Savior is to live a life that draws people to Him. It's not just about the words they hear us say, it's about the life they see us live. Paul is saying that through the gospel, God has made me into something new. And I am confident that Jesus Christ can make others, even those people who seem far away from God, brand new as well. Worldwide Communion Sunday reminds us that God's church is bigger than we can ever imagine. 
And just as we need to see what God is doing in the bigger church globally, we need to think about what He is doing and how to grow a bigger table locally. I don't know about you, but I know people who are lost, who are confused, who are broken and lonely. I know so many people who've been hurt or who've been lied to or pushed aside. And I know you do too. You know those people. Not just around the city, but in your family. And we want to take Paul's words and we want to see the Lord's table grow bigger and broader because more and more of his lost children have got to be found. Will you pray with me? Oh Lord, today, on this World Communion Sunday, we remember that your church, your kingdom is much bigger than First Presbyterian Church or the Presbyterian world or the Western church, that it is global. It is spread out across time and space, awesome as an army with banners, and that in no way are you losing. Rather, you are winning. And we are not marching toward victory. We are marching from the victory of your Son, Jesus Christ, who was crucified but is raised now. Lord, we know that you can not only change us, but you can change people we thought could never be changed. And so as we come around this table, we ask you to help us to think about how we might indeed become the Jew to the Jew, the Greek to the Greek, the weak to the weak, the American to the American, the unchurched to the unchurched, so that we might speak their language but using their language, declare your truth in a way that is irresistible and understandable to them. Lord, guide us in your peace as we gather in your, at your table and help us to remember and to be encouraged by your big church, even as you make this church bigger. In Jesus' name, amen.